Praise the Lord, Eastwind family. It has been my honor and my great privilege to teach you this week some of the beautiful truths of the Word of God. We've been talking about some of the doctrines of Scripture. In fact, what I would consider the most important doctrines of Scripture, and that's how we obey the gospel, how we are saved, how we are born again. And so uh, we began this series, which is called The Way, by talking about the prophet Isaiah, who said, there will be the way of holiness. And Jesus said, I am the way. And the apostle Paul referred to the way. You see, the early church wasn't concerned about being uh, considered exclusive. They just wanted to preach the word of God that Jesus had delivered to them. And so Paul even described it. He said, I worship the God of my fathers after the way that other people call heresy. He wasn't the least bit concerned about it as long as he was obeying the word of God. And in this series, I've tried to emphasize for you because I care about where you end up in eternity. I want to emphasize to you that it's extremely important that you obey scripture, that you look past denominational bias and traditions that you may have inherited from your family of origin and that you don't go by some religion or some denomination, but that you sincerely look at the word of God and obey it. We've talked in this series how that there are three elements in God's salvation plan, blood, water, and spirit. And we see these same three elements throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, we see blood, water, and spirit when Israel is delivered from Egypt. The blood on the doorpost, the water of the Red Sea, the supernatural pillar of cloud and fire. Blood, water, spirit. We see it in the tabernacle. We see the uh, priest offer a sacrifice of blood on the brazen altar. Then we see him go and wash his hands by immersing them in the water of the brazen laver. And finally, on the other end of the tabernacle, we see the beautiful Ark of the Covenant where the literal Shekinah presence of God, a supernatural manifestation of God rested on top of the Ark of the Covenant. Those three pieces of furniture... The brazen altar, the brazen laver, and the Ark of the Covenant, they were the three pieces involved directly in atonement. And we see another beautiful picture, blood, water, spirit. We talked in this series about how that translates in the New Testament. Jesus dies, death. He is buried, water being a picture of burial. And he rises again, spirit. He's raised by the spirit of almighty God. So we have death, burial, resurrection, blood, water, spirit. And finally, when we obey the gospel, we choose to do so like the first church did, like the early Christians did, like the New Testament church did. We're not concerned about denominational traditions. We go all the way back to the very first day of church history when Peter said, after the first sermon of the church age, And at the first altar call of the church age, Peter said, you need to repent of your sins. You need to die to your old life. You need to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. That's burial in water. You need to die. You need to be buried. And then what we want to talk about this evening, 
you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. If you do what you can do, God will do what only he can do. If you do what man can do, you can choose to repent. You can choose to be baptized. God will honor his promise. And when he sees your obedience, he will fill you with the gift of the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, just like they did on the first day of church history. And millions of Christians around the world today have experienced this very same supernatural gift. It is for every believer. But not only that, it is part of God's salvation plan. Romans chapter 8 and verse 11 says, But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead, if that spirit dwells in you, if that spirit ever gets in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. I sometimes talk to people and they say, well, I don't think I could live like those Christians live because, you know, they're good people and they seem to have conquered a lot of their habits and hangups and addictions. And and I just don't know if I could do that. And I always look at them and say, you know what? You're exactly right. You can't do it. And they can't do it either. It's only through the spirit of God coming into your life. The Holy Ghost is the spirit of God. The Holy Ghost is the same spirit that raised up that body of Jesus that was laying in a tomb for three days and three nights. And that same spirit that raised up Christ, Paul said, if you can ever get that spirit in you, if it dwells in you, it'll quicken your mortal bodies. That Holy Ghost, that Holy Spirit will give you the power that you need to live for God. What an amazing experience it is to have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You see, what Paul just said right there is a mouthful. He said, when I receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, what I'm doing is I'm applying the resurrection of Jesus to my life. It's the same resurrection power that raised him up from the dead. Now it lifts me up and it fills my life. Repentance applies the death of Jesus to your life. Baptism in his name applies the burial of Jesus to your life. That's why we're buried in water when we are baptized. But the Holy Ghost applies the resurrection of Jesus to your life. I said it earlier in our time together. That when we say, well, Jesus died for my sins. That's not the gospel. Because the gospel is good news. And if you just say, Jesus died for my sins, that's actually bad news. If he only died, that means he's still hanging on a cross. The good news isn't that Jesus died or that he died and was buried. The good news of the gospel is he died for our sins. He was buried and then he rose again the third day according to the scripture. The good news is only when you have all three, the death, 
burial and resurrection of Jesus. And in the same way, we have not obeyed the gospel. We have not experienced the gospel. We are not born again. We are not saved. We are not ready for heaven. We have not been born of the water and the spirit as Jesus himself said until we receive this beautiful, powerful experience called the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Paul amplifies this a little bit in 1 Corinthians 6 and 14. And he says, And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. All Christian churches in America, every year they celebrate Easter. And they preach the beautiful message that Jesus rose from the grave on Easter. But so many of those churches totally miss the point of the resurrection. The resurrection wasn't just so Jesus could be raised up out of the grave 2,000 years ago. It's so you and I could be raised up out of the grave of sin today. Not just sometime in the future when we go to heaven after our physical death, but right now we can be raised from spiritual death by the power of the Holy Ghost. I like the bridge of one of the current worship songs that says... If you walked out of the grave, I'm walking too. If Jesus rose from the grave, I can get up out of the grave of sin and have new life. So the Holy Ghost is the resurrection power of Jesus. The Holy Ghost is applying the resurrection of Jesus to my life. The Holy Ghost is power to live for God. So when I say, you need the Holy Ghost, oh, I mean that. But it's more than just saying, you, people say sometimes, and I think they mean well, but they say, do I have to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost? What a question that is. I like to answer this way. No, you don't have to receive it. You get to receive it. It's not a burden to receive the Holy Ghost. It's a privilege to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The Bible describes it as Christ in you, the hope of glory. Baptism puts me into Christ, but the Holy Ghost puts Christ into me. Now, who wouldn't want that? What an amazing experience. Luke records the last words of Jesus when he says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. The Holy Ghost is power of God working in your life. You need it. It's a privilege and it's his gift. Of course, Luke not only wrote that gospel, but he wrote the book of Acts. And so really Acts chapter one carries right on from Luke chapter 24. And in Acts one verse eight, Jesus says, ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. 
These are the same disciples that ran in terror and hid for fear after his crucifixion. But when Jesus rose from the dead, it emboldened them. And they went and tarried in this upper room in Jerusalem. And when they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, they received power. The Greek word there in Acts 1 verse 8 for power is dunamis. It means a doing power. Power to do something you normally couldn't do through human effort. The Holy Ghost literally turned their lives inside out. And that power is still available today. That power is promised to every believer. If you've repented of your sins, if you've been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are ready to receive the greatest gift God could ever give you. It is his spirit moving inside of you. The resurrection of Jesus was a supernatural event. Men nailed him to a cross. Men killed him. His death was an act of men. Men took his lifeless body down and carried it to a tomb and rolled that stone in place and buried him. His burial was an act of men. But on Easter Sunday morning, Jesus' resurrection was a supernatural event. And in the same way, when you repent of your sins, that's your choice. When you are baptized in Jesus' name, that's a choice you make to submit to baptism. But just as the resurrection of Jesus was a supernatural event, it was an act of God. Something supernatural happens to you when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I've talked to people who said, well, I think I have the Holy Spirit because I believe in Jesus. But see, that's not what the Bible says. I I think I have the Holy Spirit, one lady told me, because I've always been sensitive to God all my life. But see, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible teaches us specifically that when people receive the Holy Ghost, they will do something supernatural. Just like Jesus coming out of the grave was supernatural. When you receive the Holy Ghost, you won't have to hope you got it or guess that you've got it or suppose that you got it. Something supernatural will happen. So you will know that you received it. And that something supernatural is speaking in another language as God's spirit gives you the ability. That's exactly what happened on the very first day of church history when it happened for the very first time. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, They were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. You see, you remember when 
God visited Israel on Mount Sinai and he was giving them the law, the Ten Commandments, fire ringed that mountain. It's the sign of God instituting a covenant. On this day, the reason cloven tongues of fire sat on their head is that on this day, God was instituting a new covenant. But Jeremiah talked about it. It wouldn't be law written on tables of stone. It would be the laws of God written on the fleshly tables of our heart. God would give us his own power so we could keep his law and live for him. So cloven tongues like as a fire sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. How do we know? Here's how we know. And they began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. Notice that verse one says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, literally, the scripture says, when the day of Pentecost was being fulfilled, that's when this happened. There had always been a day of Pentecost in Jewish history and in Jewish theology. Pentecost was the anniversary, in fact, of when Moses received the law on Mount Sinai. And so on the anniversary of God giving his law to Moses, they receive God's law written in their hearts by the power of the Holy Ghost. And they know that they know that they know they've received his spirit because something supernatural happens. They begin to speak with languages that they've never learned. The spirit gives them utterance. The spirit gives them the ability. Now, last time we were together, we talked about baptism in the name of Jesus, water baptism. And we made an emphatic statement that you can check out in your Bible. Every Christian in your Bible was baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. I want to make a similar statement in this final session tonight. Every Christian in your Bible received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And every Christian in your Bible spoke in other tongues at the moment they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Peter and Paul and James and John and all the rest, they could no more have imagined a Christian who wasn't spirit-filled than than we could imagine a city in modern times that has no electricity. It's just hard to fathom. The New Testament is written to Christians who have all received the same experience. The epistles were written to people who had been through the book of Acts. They had received a book of Acts experience. Every Christian in your Bible, see denominations didn't exist. Religious traditions and the the edicts passed down by church councils, none of that existed. All that existed was the plan of salvation, the way given by God. And so every Christian in your Bible had this beautiful experience. When the church began on the day of Pentecost, the Bible tells us specifically, we just read it. They spoke in tongues as the spirit gave them utterance for all of our dear Catholic friends. You have such great respect for Peter. You have such great respect for Mary, the mother of Jesus. 
Let me tell you emphatically, you can read this in your Bible. Acts chapter 1 verse 13 and 14. Both Peter and Mary were in the upper room and they were among the number that received the baptism of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. If you revere Peter and if you revere Mary, the mother of our Lord, surely you would want to have the very same experience they had. Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8, when the Samaritans were receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost by the laying on of hands of the apostles, as they prayed for them, they were receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Simon He actually offered money to the apostles. Give me this power. What was he seeing? He obviously wasn't just seeing somebody pray for somebody without any physical outward manifestation. That wouldn't have been something he would have offered money for. What he saw was suddenly everybody that the apostles laid their hands on, they were receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost and they were doing something supernatural. And Simon wanted that power. He offered money. What was he seeing? Obviously, he was seeing people speaking in languages that he knew they didn't know. I love this part of the book of Acts. It's Acts chapter 10. And it's quite a story. And perhaps I'll pause here just for a moment. In Acts chapter 10, for the very first time, a Gentile named Cornelius and all of his household, they receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues. Up until now, 10 years after the day of Pentecost, no Gentile has yet received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I hate to tell you this, but... Part of that was the prejudice of some of those early Christians. You see, on the day of Pentecost, all the people that were in the upper room and all the people that were packing into Jerusalem, they were Jewish people. And for 10 years, while they had great revival and people came to God and they saw miracles, the church had still not reached beyond its own borders and its own comfort zone to reach the Gentiles. And so there's quite a story here. In Acts chapter 10. And it begins with God dealing with Mr. Pentecost himself, the Apostle Peter. Peter preached on the day of Pentecost and he got anointed. He got out of his notes a little bit. You know, it's always dangerous when a preacher gets out of their notes. Peter, he began to prophesy. He talked about the Holy Ghost. He said, and the promise is unto you and to your children. Well, so far he's safe. Because you, that's Jewish people. And your children, that's still Jewish people. But then the anointing of God, a prophetic anointing, hit Peter. He said, this promise is to you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. It's almost like Peter preached something he wasn't sure he believed on the day of Pentecost. Because ten years later, nobody had budged beyond their comfort zone to reach the Gentiles. And then God dealt with that preacher. Peter was sleeping as the custom was on top of the roof of his house to escape the heat. And uh, he had some visions. 
You would think of them almost like nightmares. He, in his vision, he saw this sheet filled with animals and uh, they were all unclean animals in the Jewish religion. And he heard a voice saying, rise up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter, like the good little Jewish boy that he was, he said, not so. I won't eat anything that's unclean. And, and, and three times, because that vision came back three times. Three times God spoke to him and said, Peter, what I have cleansed, don't you call common or unclean? Peter wakes up from the final dream when he hears a knock at the door down below. And he goes down to open the door. See, what Peter doesn't realize is that while he's been carrying on his ministry and preaching the gospel and dealing with the Jews and seeing many good things happen, God has been dealing with the heart of a Roman man, a Gentile man, a pagan man named Cornelius. But while he's Roman and Gentile and pagan, he's very sincere. The Bible tells us he prayed always. He he was always talking to God. And God saw the heart of Cornelius. And so he sent an angel to Cornelius to say, go find that apostolic preacher named Peter. And he sent three visions to Peter to tell him, you need to go and preach to this Gentile that you think is common and unclean. Guess who God had the most trouble with? It was the Pentecostal preacher. And so here we have Peter waking up from three dreams. Three times God tells him, what I have cleansed, don't you call common or unclean. What I am working in, what I am working with, don't you get an attitude toward it. Don't you call it common or unclean. Peter goes down to open the door and guess what he sees? Three Gentile men standing at his front door. They are servants of Cornelius sent to fetch the Pentecostal preacher. It's pretty obvious what God meant. Three dreams, three times. Don't call what I'm working in. Don't you call it common or unclean. And now three Gentile servants of Cornelius are standing at his front door. And the story kind of takes a comic turn at this point because Peter takes six friends with him, six bodyguards, just in case there's any trouble from these Gentiles. And so off they go with these three servants of Cornelius. And Peter enters that Gentile home. It's a beautiful story in Caesarea. He walks into that home and he senses their hunger and he begins to preach the gospel to them. He even says, now I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Can I tell you, I don't care what church background you come from, what sinful background you come from, what atheistic background you may come from. It doesn't matter. God is no respecter of persons. If he promised it to anybody, he's promised it to you. And so you can have the gift of the Holy Ghost. Peter walks into that Gentile home. He's scared out of his wits. He's a good Jewish boy. He's never been in a Gentile's home before. Jews aren't supposed to go into Gentile's homes. And so he's not going to touch anything. It's kind of like COVID-19. He's going to stay socially distanced. He's not going to shake anybody's hand. He's going to stay six feet apart. He is definitely not having the pulled pork sandwich that night. It's not happening. 
but he senses that sincerity and he begins to, he begins to preach the gospel and acts chapter 10 around verse 44, the Bible says, and while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy ghost fell on all those that heard the word for the first time in human history. The baptism of the Holy Ghost was poured out, not on Jews, not on Samaritans who were kind of like half-breed Jews. No, this time it was pagan, sinful Gentiles. You want to thank God every day that Acts 10 is in the Bible. Because if there hadn't been an Acts 10, if a Gentile named Cornelius hadn't been the first Gentile to receive the Holy Ghost... It was still a struggle. If you continue to read on in the scripture, Peter comes back to the the Jerusalem crew and they say, what were you doing at the household of Cornelius? And what do you mean they received the Holy Ghost? And Peter actually is kind of funny. He said, what was I supposed to do? They received the Holy Ghost the same as we did at the beginning. What did you want me to do when God himself poured out his spirit? And here's what Peter said. For we heard them speak with tongues. That's how we knew it was the Holy Spirit. That's how we knew they were baptized by the Holy Ghost. We heard them speak with tongues. You see, speaking in tongues is always the evidence of the Holy Ghost in the New Testament. So that's Cornelius' household. Every Christian in your Bible, whether they were Jew or Samaritan or Gentile, when they became a Christian, they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and they spoke with tongues. The apostle Paul had this experience. He said to the Corinthian church, I speak in tongues more than you all. And we talked about this when we talked about water baptism. Believers who had only received John's baptism... They were rebaptized in the name of Jesus Christ in Acts 19 and they spoke with tongues. So I say it again. If you want to be a Bible Christian, you need to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Every Christian in your Bible received it and spoke with tongues. And no wonder because hundreds of years before the day of Pentecost, Isaiah had prophesied of the Holy Ghost. He said, for with stammering lips and another tongue, will God speak to this people to whom he said, this is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest. This is the refreshing. In the Old Testament, they would not hear. But in the New Testament, our hearts and our minds are open to receive everything that God has for us. And it comes with stammering lips and another tongue. I have often told people who are praying and they wish to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It begins with stammering lips. People describe it different ways. It's like your tongue gets thick. It's like you trip over your words. It's like you feel like you're speaking gibberish or baby talk. If that happens to you while you're praying, don't shut that down. Don't stop that. Let that flow through you because with those stammering lips, that's the beginning. Let it break forth into another tongue because that is God's will for you. This baptism of the Holy Ghost was prophesied by the prophet Joel in Joel 2, 28. 
He said, it shall come to pass afterward. God said, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see, see visions and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. Joel spoke about a day when anybody from anywhere could receive God's spirit into their life. But let me point out that Joel never said anything about speaking in other tongues. He just said, there's coming a day when God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. Now, fast forward to the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two in your Bible. When 120 people freshly filled with the power of God and the baptism of the Holy Ghost, they burst out of that upper room and they're now in the streets of Jerusalem and they are all speaking with other tongues. And it's obvious to the crowd that they are speaking in languages that they have no earthly way of knowing. In fact, the crowd that day, they comment on it. How do these people speak these languages? We know they can't speak these languages. And the Bible tells us in Acts 2 verse 12, they were all amazed and they were in doubt. And they said to one another, what meaneth this? What is this? This is the speaking in tongues that they can see and hear all around them. What meaneth this? What is this speaking in tongues? And Peter stands up and he says in verse 16, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Remember, Joel didn't say anything about speaking in tongues. He just said there was coming a day when God would pour out his spirit on all flesh. And now Peter, on the day of Pentecost, he connects the dots. They say, what meaneth this, this speaking in tongues? And Peter says, this speaking in tongues is that which was promised by the prophet Joel. What did Joel prophesy? He said, there's coming a day when everyone that wants it all flesh they can receive the baptism of God's spirit he didn't mention speaking in tongues he just said God's spirit would be poured out it would baptize them Peter connected the dots they said what meaneth this speaking in tongues Peter said this speaking in tongues is that outpouring that baptism of the spirit that Joel prophesied Not only was the baptism of the Holy Ghost prophesied by Isaiah and Joel, it was prophesied by John the Baptist when he said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me, the Lord Jesus, he is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Not only was the Holy Ghost prophesied by Isaiah and Joel and John the Baptist. But the Holy Ghost, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, was prophesied by the Lord Jesus himself. John chapter 7. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. You don't have to guess what he meant, because the next verse tells us. 
This spake he of the spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. Watch. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. I'm glad to tell you today, Jesus has already been glorified. He already rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. And since he has been glorified, now he has sent back his spirit. And you can receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, just like Jesus promised. It is literally like rivers of living water flowing out of your innermost being. Jesus said in John 16 verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you. It's beneficial for you. It's necessary for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send the comforter, the Holy Ghost, unto you. Does that mean Jesus and the Holy Ghost are separate? Not at all. He said in John 14, 18, in the same conversation, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Jesus is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. Acts chapter 1, verse 5, Jesus said these words, John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost Not many days hence. That's exactly what happened in Acts chapter 2. You see, the whole point of Jesus' resurrection is that Jesus wants to give to us resurrection power. The power of the Holy Ghost. Peter said in his day of Pentecost sermon, This Jesus hath God raised up. Whereof we are all witnesses. We all saw it happen, he says. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, watch, which you now see and hear. What are they seeing and hearing in Acts chapter 2? They are seeing and hearing people speak in tongues. Jesus said that this is the promise of the father. And Peter repeated him and he said, this is the promise of the Holy ghost. Jesus has shed forth this, this speaking in tongues. This is the promise. This is the spirit. This is the Holy ghost. And you can see it and you can hear it as people speak in other tongues. I want to tell you that the Holy ghost is for everyone. And the Holy Ghost is for you. Peter said it. Acts 2.39. The promise is unto you. This experience is for you. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 32. The apostle said. We are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost. Whom God hath given to them that obey him. If you've obeyed Jesus, if you've obeyed the gospel, if you've obeyed the word of God by repenting of your sins and being baptized in Jesus name, I speak to you right now on the authority of the word of God and say that God has promised you the Holy Ghost. He gives it to those that obey him. I want to end here. I want you to realize that the evidence of 
receiving the Holy Ghost is that you will do something supernatural. You will know when you receive the Holy Ghost because you will speak with tongues. Remember, it is impossible for God to fill people with his spirit unless they yield to him. You have to give up your control and let Jesus have control. Nobody can be filled with self and filled with God at the same time. Furthermore, two languages cannot be spoken at one time. God's not going to take your vocabulary away or overpower you. You have to voluntarily yield yourself to the control of his spirit. God doesn't speak in tongues. People speak in tongues as his spirit gives us the words. It's going to be your mouth, your tongue, your lips, your vocal cords, but God is going to speak through you. So if you would like to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, let me just give you a few words of practical advice. Become like a little child. Remember, Jesus said, if you're not like a little child, you can't receive the kingdom of heaven. You can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Become like a little child. Take his word by faith. Realize that he promised he would fill you with the Holy Ghost. That it would flow out of your belly, out of your innermost being, these rivers of living water. Surrender your tongue to God's control as you're praying. Don't shut it down if it feels strange. Push through that feeling of awkwardness or strangeness. Don't be afraid of speaking in sounds that you, your mind doesn't comprehend. Don't be afraid of speaking in sounds that somebody else is not going to understand. That's the point. You will speak in another tongue, an unknown tongue, a tongue that you've never learned. What an incredible experience it is to simply surrender everything to God and let him fill us. Just ask him and believe that he will do what he promised. This is God's gift to you. You don't have to deserve it. You don't have to be worthy of it. You certainly don't have to beg for it. It is for you. The promise is unto you. In the year 2006, a study by researchers at the University of Pennsylvania found that there may be a neurological parallel between what worshipers experience when they speak in tongues and what actually transpires physiologically in the brain. It's an amazing thing that they uh, studied. Scientists literally took brain images from worshipers as they were doing different religious activities. The image on the screen behind me is a, a brain scan as somebody is singing a gospel song. It would be similar to somebody listening to a video of me speaking to you because the speech centers in the front part of the brain, you can see on the scan that they're active. They glow red because as you listen to me, your brain is processing the words that I'm speaking and you're processing the English language either into the English tongue, or if it's your mother tongue, you're even smarter than that because you're listening to me in English and you're thinking in your mother tongue, what is that? And you're translating on the fly. You've got an amazing intellect there and I'm a little envious of you. But regardless, 
When we're doing something like reading our Bible, processing words, listening to a sermon, processing words, singing a gospel song, processing words, the speech centers of our brain, they glow red on these SPECT scans because we're using the speech centers of the brain. But then those same scientists compared those images to an image of a worshiper who was speaking in tongues. And what is so notable about their brain image is that the frontal lobes, the speech centers of the brain, went quiet. They don't glow bright red on these scans. Because as people are speaking in tongues, it's not them speaking. God is bypassing the language centers of the brain to speak through them in a language that they've never learned. You can check that online. Uh, it's called the SPECT study. It's by uh, doctors Andrew Newberg, Nancy Wintering, Donna Morgan, and Mark Waldman from the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine about 15 years ago in 2006. And they've done futures, they've done studies uh, beyond that uh, over the last few years. But that's an amazing thing right there. I didn't need to see those brain scans to understand this because I just believe the word of God. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. The word belly in that verse that Jesus said in those words, it's not belly as in stomach, as in food. It is the, the Greek word kolia. When Jesus says, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. It, kolia is belly as in womb, as in birth. What Jesus is saying is when you pray in the spirit, when you speak in tongues, you birth something in the supernatural realm. It's totally different than praying in your native tongue. It's praying in a heavenly language. And it is the evidence, the initial sign that the resurrection power of Jesus has moved into your life. It is the sign. It is the initial evidence that you have received what he himself promised. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, the comforter coming into your life. Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And when a supernatural God moves into a human body and a human mind, you want to believe that there's going to be something supernatural happen. I encourage you to go after the baptism of the Holy Ghost with all of your heart. Please don't let tradition or the doctrines of men dissuade you from going after everything God has for you for two very important reasons. One is, it is the greatest power and strength that you could ever experience. Who wouldn't want it? But secondly, remember, it is the way that is important. The way has three elements, blood, water, and spirit, death, burial, and resurrection, repentance, baptism, and the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Don't let anyone convince you that you should stop short of receiving God's powerful gift. 
You're not going to receive the Holy Ghost through your head, through your intellect. You're going to receive it through your heart, through your hunger for God. You've got to be hungry for this. But if you are, it's God's promise to you. Luke chapter 11, verse 13, Jesus said, If you then being evil, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? All you've got to do is be hungry enough to ask him for it. You don't need me around. You don't need anybody else around. You can kneel by your bed. You can bow your head at your kitchen table. You can bow your head while you're sitting on the couch watching this session. And you can say, Jesus, please fill me with your spirit. And as you begin to worship him, please pay attention to the fact that God is going to start moving through you with stammering lips and then another tongue, just as Isaiah prophesied. My last scripture, Acts 19 and 2. It's what Peter said, or what Paul said, rather, to those Ephesian believers. It's the question he asked them that got them started on this wonderful journey of receiving the Holy Ghost and being rebaptized into the name of Jesus. Acts 19, verse 2. His question to them is what I would ask to you as we end our time together this week. He said unto them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? That's my question to you. Have you received this beautiful, powerful gift of the Holy Ghost since you believed? Now their answer was, we haven't even heard whether there's any Holy Ghost. Well, maybe that was the case with you before this week, but it's not the case now. I've done my best to explain scripturally, not traditionally, not from a denominational perspective, but scripturally, why the baptism of the Holy Ghost is so important and why it is for you. I know it's for you. Jesus has promised it's for you. And now it's up to you. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? If your answer is no, I encourage you as your friend to give your all to Jesus. Become like a little child in faith and believe that he is going to fill you with his spirit. This gift is for everyone. And this gift is the culmination and the conclusion of his great salvation plan in our life. Death, burial, and resurrection. Blood, water, and spirit. Let me pray for you before we go today. Lord Jesus, what a privilege it has been. What a high honor to address these people and to teach your word. Lord Jesus, we've laid it out as plainly as we could. We've laid it out as conclusively and comprehensively as we were able. But now it's up to them and it's up to you. I know that you want to fill them with your spirit. I know that it's your will that all should come to repentance and that none should perish. I know it's your will that we would be baptized into Christ, just like you were buried in the tomb for us. So God, with such a plan of salvation, who wouldn't want to receive that? 
I pray for my friends that have done me the honor of listening to this teaching. I pray that you would knock down every wall of resistance. I pray that you would overcome every uh, root of tradition. I pray, God, that you would help them see past denominations and whatever they may have been taught in their family of origin. Because this isn't about respecting tradition. This is about obeying your word. This isn't about pleasing people. This is about being saved and ready for your eternal kingdom. I pray that you would do the work in their heart that only you can do. And yes, that you would fill them with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, your spirit, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.